I learned a lot about medicine and healthcare and how organizations worked. And uh, because we were not doctors or, or nurses, we could, I was part, but not part. So I could, I could see what was working and not working and not be caught up in the system. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to introduce to you today's guest. Now, we've had over 100 episodes of the podcast so far, and there have been only a couple of times when I have truly ended the conversation with our guest smiling from ear to ear and just feeling like I'm floating on air from the energy and and the inspiration that I got from the conversation. And let me tell you that this conversation with today's guest is absolutely one of those. His name is Martin Root, and Martin is the president of Livelihood, a management consulting firm in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that has worked with organizations like the World Bank, Sony Pictures Entertainment, and Virgin Records. Martin's aim is to provide the insights and tools that are necessary to overcome obstacles, to adapt to ever-changing circumstances, and to reframe perspectives to solve seemingly impossible problems. One way that he's doing this is through his newest book, Project Heaven on Earth, the three simple questions that will help you change the world easily. Now, in this conversation with Martin, we dive into his story, how he got to where he is, and you know, really how to start to ask better questions, ask the big thinking questions to really ask yourself, what is heaven on earth? And then to look to take simple actions that can start to get us there. I love that Martin not only is a massively big thinker, but he's someone who you know truly understands that all of us have the ability to take action towards these big visions and to really bring them into our reality. I know that you're going to be just as inspired by this conversation with Martin as I was. And at the end, when he talks about his book, he actually makes a suggestion of why you should buy three copies. Now, I'll let you wait to hear from him on what he thinks that you should do with those. But what I want to offer is that for the first two people who reach out to me about this episode, I will personally send you three copies of Martin's book so that you can follow through on his suggestions. So send me a DM on Instagram or on Facebook at Dorothy Ilson if you want to be one of those two people. And if you haven't already, head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash join. That's where you can become a part of my email list. And when you do so, I will personally make a donation on your behalf to an incredible nonprofit that is doing good in the world. You'll see on that page which nonprofit that we are donating to this month. So again, that's dowellanddogood.co backslash join. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Martin Root. Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm thrilled to have you here. 
Dorothy, ditto for me. You got great energy. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, let's dive straight into your story. Could you kind of set the stage for me and tell me you know, what was life like for you growing up and what were the beliefs around money and success that were instilled in you as a child? Life was, I was uh, born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is a steel city like Pittsburgh. So lower working class. My father worked in a fruit store and a hardware store, which he co-owned with his brother. We spoke Yiddish at home, no English. I learned English on the streets. Um, it, was, it was a lower class working, you know, these are mostly European people who came over and didn't have a lot of education. And so I went to work for the steel company because they could do manual work. And uh, my parents were very clear, you know, you're going to university. I mean, the choice I had is what university, not whether university. Right, right. So, you know, were there any, you know, expectations that were placed on you, you know, growing up in that way? You know, what were, what were your ambitions like? Did you know that you wanted to, you know, become president of an organization like that? Were you entrepreneurial? You know, what was your mindset going into school? No, definitely not entrepreneurial. I saw how, how difficult it was for my father in business, how he struggled. I remember still, this is seared in me, um, my mother one day on the phone with somebody, a relative, I suppose, just crying because we didn't have enough food in the, in the refrigerator. So, I mean, we were never in the high flow of money. My expectations of school, not much. I, I do remember, though, sitting on the front deck, uh, front porch of our, our, of our home and... Uh, Reading, I would read every newspaper I get my hands on. And I always, as a kid, Dorothy, knew that I was here to change the world. That, that was not a, it was like, your name's Dorothy, I'm here to change the world. I, it was not a big deal. It was just, that's it. That's what I'm here to do. Run my own company? No, never a thought. Never a thought about that. Public school, high school, it was just really to get through university. And it was about girls and drinking and <laughs> drugs and all the, you know. Yeah going out of home and just exploding yourself. And, and then I worked for the, where did it happen after I was school? Oh, I worked for the for, um, hospital. And that's when it started to really kick in. I worked for a hospital in Toronto, Toronto General Hospital. And in those days, the drug scene was really, really, really bad. They set up a little group down in the hospital to deal with kids on drugs. I had long hair and I think a beard. And, you know, they wanted somebody who was, resonant with them when they came in. And I learned a lot about medicine and healthcare and how organizations worked. And uh, because we were not doctors or, or nurses, we could, I was part, but not part. So I could, I could see what was working and not working and not be caught up in the system. Yeah. I mean, I think so often it's, it's hard to see what's going on in your own organization. You kind of see the forest for the trees. And so that skill of being able to understand the big picture and help to guide it, uh, you know, I think is something that's really valuable. And it sounds like that's really what you've done with livelihood. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. Um, so years later, I was, um, I finished university. I started math and went to psych, psychology, clinical psych, which I loved, counseling psych. Then worked for the federal government in a program that dealt with drug abuse, substance abuse. And then I went to medical school for a year, which was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back to the, to, where did I go after that? I think I went back to the, the federal government and I could just see the writing on the wall. That was not for me. And then I ended up at a yoga retreat in uh, Northern Michigan and had a very profound epiphany experience. I saw this 
orange neon light go off in my head, Dorothy, and it said, the name of the game is Martin Root, and it can be played anyway. And I still remember that. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, I remember sitting there going, nobody told me that. And a couple of days later, I met this remarkable man who was to have a huge impact in my life, Bob Branscombe, God rest his soul. And he was the vice president of a hospital in Chicago and had combined the old S training with management by objectives. I, I didn't know what S was. I didn't know what management by objectives was. I just knew he was talking about things like commitment, responsibility. You know, the way you get clients is by empowering them, not by making them dependent on you. He was saying things that just click, 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 click. And he was offering this course. He had just quit the hospital to start this own lifestyle management course. And I went down and it was about setting goals beyond what you believed possible. And I never heard anything like that before and being responsible for it. And so you set goals from your, from your soul rather than from your ego and your mind, from what you believed was possible, as opposed to what you wanted. And if you didn't believe it was possible, that was fine. You still wanted it. And his, his premise was, you don't need to believe you can do something in order to do it. And which was, you know, violated a, a massive assumption, right? And here's his proof. Have you done the following in your life or seen anybody do the following in your life? They do something after which they say, I don't believe I did that. We all have, right? You've seen that either in yourself or other. Yeah. How could they say that if you need to believe that you can do that you need to believe you can do something in order to do it? It's because belief's not necessary. Or to put it another way, you only do that which you believe you can do. But that's ridiculous. What if you like I wanted to end world hunger, but I didn't believe it was possible? Oh. Well, then I would spend the rest of my life waiting for the belief to be there as opposed to beginning. Right. And oh, so my goodness. This is that you're really challenging a, a paradigm of mine. This is fascinating. I, I, for many people, it is not necessary to believe. It's fine, but not necessary. So he was saying all these kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Amazing. So I walk up to him at the end of the course and I say, OK, Bob, I know why you asked me here. And he said, what? I said, well, you want me to take this to Canada? He said, what? I said, I don't care what you say. I'm taking this to Canada. He's like, what? <laughs> so I took it to Canada and began bringing him up to do the course. And then finally he said, no, I want you to do the course. And I said, me? I can't. I'm not a trainer. What are you talking about? Fine. You're going to do this course. And I did. And that opened. That's when I started my business. I quit the government and uh, started my own business. And I knew nothing about it. Not, to say I knew nothing about business is, is a compliment. I knew nothing. <laughs> wow. Oh, my, my God. Martin. My friend, my friend Manny Battler once said to me, this is one of my mentors, I said, Manny, I don't know anything about business. He said, good. Here's all you need to know. More money comes in than goes out. The rest, <laughs> the rest you'll learn. Oh, that's it? He said, that's it. Okay, that I could do. Oh my gosh, there's just so much in everything that you said that that I would love to dive into. I mean, first, just this idea of I'm Martin Root and I, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, this this idea that we can create our lives in any way that we want them to be, that's something that 
you know, we have to learn. Most of us do not grow up believing that. You know, we see this this structured path that we're supposed to take and, you know, what our parents did and what our grandparents did. And and this idea that we can break free of any molds that, you know, we feel bind us and create whatever it is that we want is something that is just incredibly empowering and, and freeing. And then to add on this layer of, you know, what you just said, which is really making me question a lot of things that that I believe that, you know, that you don't need to believe that it's possible to move forward and to start. I mean, that is, uh, that's powerful in and of itself. Because I think one thing that, that I've always held on to strongly is, you know, you don't need to know the how. You don't need to know, you know, exactly what steps that you're going to take to get from point A to point B. You just need to know what point B is and identify that that's where you're going. And so the freedom that comes with, you know, I don't even need to necessarily believe that it's possible to get there. You know, that example you used of solving world hunger, completely ending world hunger. You know, I think that that's something that, you know, just starting to move in that direction, whether or not you have the belief, you're going to do so much good in the world. And one thing I'd love to, to ask let me, you... I, let me just... Yeah, yeah please. Example. So Bob Branskin and I are in a cab. I remember this so clearly in Chicago. I'm sitting against the side. He's in the middle. And he's wanting me to join this organization called The Hunger Project, whose commitment is the sustainable end of hunger. And he'd been wanting me to join and join and join. I kept saying, no, 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 no. Finally, he shoves me in the corner and says, all right, I want you to join. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, why not? And I said, because I don't believe it's possible. And he said, okay, can you not believe it's possible and still join? And I said, yes. He said, good. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Well, so one thing that I think is so so incredible about you is, you know, as I was, you know, reading about you and, and learning more about you, you said something that was about the idea that, you know, our goal shouldn't be to reduce world hunger or to reduce poverty, to reduce these things. Our goal should be to end these things, to, you know, wipe these problems off the face of the earth. And that's something that I think that most of us never even consider this idea of, you know, ending wars and like, just uh, talk to me about that and how you got to this place of, you know, shifting that perspective to eradicating these problems completely. Good. So let me give you a, little, a larger context here. So what we did talk about is I am a management consultant. I've done some fairly conservative management things, you know, big companies, Virgin Records, Sony Pictures, uh, spoken four times at the Harvard Business School on Vision. And it dawned on me one day that the story that we tell ourselves about who we are as individuals, as a human and as humanity, people kept saying, you need a new story. We need a new story. We need a new story about what it means to be alive. But nobody named that story. So this thought came to me one day, heaven on earth. I, you know, what's your vision for the world, Martin? Well, heaven on earth. And Dorothy, I said, what? You can't say that. You can't say heaven on earth. I mean, people, I'm like, you can't say that. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. Can I speak to you about hell on earth? Yes, that's permissible. The, you know, political turmoil in the world, economic, the refugees, Brexit, all that stuff. That's all permissible conversation. Well, well, then why can't I talk to you about heaven on earth? And I was intrigued by that notion. So I started asking people, what's heaven on earth for you? What's heaven on earth for you? What's heaven on earth for you? Not, I didn't have a particular answer in mind. You know, I wasn't coming from a 
I know what heaven on earth is and you don't, and I'm going to impose this on you. No, no, no. Just like, what is it for you? Because I wanted to get a sense of the arena. And so one of the things that I discovered is that for some people, heaven on earth is the end of a suffering, like hunger, like war, like poverty, like disease, not to make it better, which is fine. And I love people are trying to make it better, but to actually end the suffering. And so I began to think, well, if I had a magic wand, if we had heaven on earth, those sufferings would not be here, period. Oh, you can't say that. But why do I want you to suffer from this disease or that war? You know, you see people, the Israeli-Palestinian BS that's been going on for years. No, I don't want that. And I don't think they want that at heart. So I began to check out, and if you go online, if you go to my website, uh, projectheavenonearth.com, you'll see in the resources section all kinds of books that I found where people are beginning this thought form called the end of a suffering, the end of poverty, the end of nuclear war, you know, the end of illness. People are acting like highly trained academic people are talking about that. That is coming into the fore. And I think for me, it's part of this larger context of this, this would be heaven on earth for me. This is not some dream way down the road. I really want this. So that's where that notion of not simply making it better, which is lovely, but to actually come from, we're going to end this sucker. We are going to end this suffering. And they're, you know, free the slaves. I don't know if you know that, that organization the abolition of slavery around the world, because slavery is still going on. Not to make it better, fine, end it. So yes, we need those kinds of bold people making those kinds of bold statements, because like you, Dorothy, when you hear that, you go, well, yes, I'm in. This is what I want. So heaven on earth came out of that. And so let me, and that that suffering thing that you just went into, but let me just give you another frame for this. And I asked your permission before we went on the air here, if I could ask you my three heaven on earth questions. The three questions form the basis of my book, Project Heaven on Earth, and they're the distillation of what I've discovered after you ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask people what's heaven on earth. So question number one, and I'd like people listening to also answer this. Recall a time when you experienced heaven on earth, what was going on? Yeah, so... There are a couple there are a couple experiences that come to mind and am I allowed to share two? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, so because of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give you two. So, um one was this past March. Um I was in uh I, I had a, a speaking engagement um for my agency in Thailand and on the way home we had a 20-hour stopover in Dubai. And so Jacob, my, my partner and I, we, we went out. He had planned the, the evening and we went out to the middle of the desert and uh, had this, this private um, dinner in the desert. And that was where he proposed. And so we got engaged <laughs> and then just had... Yeah, you, the, you didn't know this, this coming. Um, no, well, I, I knew it was coming sometime. I didn't know when it was coming then. I didn't think he'd have the guts to travel with the ring for like 12 days just to do it on the last day. But, um, but anyway, and I was just sitting. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say yes? Yes. I said yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, and, and I was just sitting there looking at the beauty of 
of the earth and just the, you know, the experience of living this life that I feel like I've deliberately created. Um, you know, when I left my job and, you know, started my business, I just, I, I honestly didn't dream where it would take me. And so to be in that place and to be with this person who means more to me than anyone else in the world and to, to have just this experience of just unadulterated joy, that to me, you know, when, when I first heard that question, you know, a time that you felt heaven on earth, like that, what that felt like perfection. And so that would be the first one I'd say. And then the second one uh, that I would say is, and I'm actually, I'm going to do a little show and tell with you if you don't mind. Um, but basically, I, I recorded a podcast episode that was about this idea of crabs in a bucket. I don't know if you ever heard this, but basically when, you know, you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket, they start, you know, trying to climb out the the sides and the other crabs will start to grab uh, the ones that are, you know, trying to escape and pull them back in into the the bottom. And this is kind of what we as people do to each other. And so, you know, it's this idea of trying to, you know, break free from that, you know, social pressure, societal pressure, the pressure of our friends and family, you know, who want the best for us, but are really just just holding us, uh, you know, in our, our present reality. So I recorded this episode and it was really at the beginning of the show when, you know, it kind of felt like I was talking to a brick wall, like, no, you know, are people really hearing this? And I... A few weeks after I recorded this episode, I I got this package in the mail. It was from it was from you know uh, someone that I didn't know, um, you know had had never heard of this person before, and it was this unbelievable drawing. And you know I'll actually I'll put it uh, I'll put a picture of it in the show notes in case anyone wants to go see what it was. But it was this beautiful, colorful drawing of a crab, and I received it from from this woman, you know, along with this note that said, I heard this episode and, and it spoke to me, you know, it, it pulled me out of a dark place and I want, and, and it inspired me to draw this and I wanted to say thank you. And it was that moment, the feeling that I got when I saw that, and I'm like, I could cry right now just thinking about it, but you know, that feeling that, you know, that someone heard those words and that it impacted them in a positive way, that was just one of the greatest moments of my entire life. And it was something so small, but you know, it was something that really just showed me the power that each of us can have as individuals to affect another person in a positive way. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to come back to that. So next question, question two, imagine you have a magic wand. Okay. And with this wand, you can have heaven on earth. What is heaven on earth for you? Heaven on earth is knowing that myself and all of the other people on this planet are able to experience joy and you know are able to be free from suffering and to you know live a life of pursuing their joy and and pursuing meaning very clear very clear thank you and third question what simple easy concrete step will you take in the next 24 hours to have more of that? There are a few people in my life. There's actually three people that I'm thinking of specifically who have made an incredibly powerful impact on me personally. And I don't believe that I've ever told them. And so something I can do in the next 24 hours is to reach out to those three people 
and share that with them and share the positive impact that they've had on me, which hopefully will give them a similar feeling to that feeling that I felt when I opened up that package in the mail and found that drawing. And so will you do that? I will. I give you my word. Thank you. And can will the doing of that, contacting those three people, be your contribution to heaven on earth? It is a contribution for sure, but there's so much more. Great. Yes. Yeah, no, that, clear. That's a better way of saying it. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Let me go through the three questions. So question one was, recall a time when you experienced heaven on earth and you went immediately to two answers. One was Jacob asking you to marry him. And secondly, this woman sending you, unknown woman previously, sending you the drawing. What you did not do, Dorothy, and what no one does is say, what do you mean by heaven on earth? Nobody asks that question. How do you know what I'm talking about? I never defined it, but you do. Because in order for you to answer the question, you must know what heaven on earth is. It's what I call the already knowing about heaven on earth that resides within you. And when I ask you the question, bang, the proposal on the desert, bang, the drawing of the crab. So that's question one. Question two, the magic wand. The purpose of a magic wand is to remove the necessity of having to know how you're going to do it. And if you don't have to know how you're going to do it, you go purely, which is what you did, and deeply into the what. Knowing myself and others on the planet are in joy, free from suffering, pursuing what will bring them joy. You used a phrase earlier, unadulterated joy. That value of joy, that's your keystone, that's your touchstone. That's what you want to see in the world. That, for you, is heaven on earth. Again, I didn't tell you. You told you. The difference is rather than me imposing a definition on you, I evoke the definition that's already there, residing in you, that I already know is there. I don't know the content, but I know it's there. And then the third question, what are you going to do in the next 24 hours? I don't want you to just leave it at question two, which is beautiful. I want you to get into action simply about doing that now, for the next 24 hours. And by doing those three calls and having in your consciousness, this is a contribution to heaven on earth, you're in the game. Wow. It's so simple and yet so profound. I mean, these questions, someone actually said to me the other day, you know, if, if you're looking for clarity, if you're looking for understanding, you know, ask yourself better questions. And, and that comes to my mind right now of, you know, sometimes we just ask ourselves questions like, how can I get through the day? Can, how can I help the issue of homelessness? How can I help the issue of human trafficking? You know, whatever it is that you're passionate about or whatever struggles you have in your own life, there's a lot of power, I think, in what you just did, which is reframing the question to, you know, what is heaven on earth? And and it does, it forces you to, or it doesn't even force you, it, it allows you to go to the the far reaching you know end of of what's possible which is the complete eradication of these things that you know are plaguing our own lives or, or are plaguing the world and so this idea of asking better questions and getting better answers and then taking concrete steps to start moving towards that you know even if it is just something small you know that's that's really where the power in this lies you got it 
I want to talk about the notion of simple. The, the third question is what simple, easy, concrete step will you take? And I've been discovering more and more about this notion of simple and its enormous power. So let me give you some examples of, of what people are actually doing with respect to heaven on earth. So there's a woman in, in Hawaii, Susan Alima Fryer, who, who teaches people how to grow microgreens, little green plants. You grow them in 10 days and you mush them up and you can drink them. I can't do anything about heaven on earth. So I said, well, so what's heaven on earth for you? And, and she, she gave me her answer, which in essence was recreating the Garden of Eden, which of course was perfect for her. She now has embedded that answer into her emails. Every email that goes out, she asks the second question, here's a magic wand, what's heaven on earth for you? For me, heaven on earth is, and then she gives her answer. Simple, easy to do. A police officer in Texas has written a 16-page manual called Heaven on Earth for Law Enforcement. This is another story. A, a woman in Canada, Nova Scotia, we were on a webinar one day, I was leading a webinar, we were talking about the sufferings in the world. I'll tell you what a suffering is, violence against women. I've been to the police. I've been to the government. Nothing. What would you do? I said, well, uh, Susan, I don't know. Uh, I don't know your financial situation. You could donate $5,000. You could donate a penny. Well, what difference would a penny make? One of the other women on the call said, wait a minute. What if everybody in your county donated a penny a day to help end violence against women? She went, oh, my God. She started a program, Dorothy, called Making Change in which she asked people to donate. She hands her a little jar with a picture of a woman, half her face beaten up, bruised, half her face bright alive with the light coming out, asking you to make a donation of a penny a day or more. But every day, you couldn't put a check for $3.65 in and say, okay, that's my contribution of the year. No, 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 no. Every day, they did it. They raised $2,500 in two, two communities, two, two counties, took that to the government of Canada who gave them $100,000 for each of the subsequent three years to take that program farther. She now reports that when she goes to anyone in the county, their first question is, what can I do to help? And I take that to the next final one, a woman in Austria, Elizabeth. I love her. I was doing another webinar and we talked like, so what's your project, Elizabeth? She said, oh, that's simple, Martin. Heaven, Austria is a heaven on earth nation. What? <laughs> come up with that? Well, Martin, because it's simple. And that's when the bank door vault just blew open. Because what I realized from her, Dorothy, was I don't know what your simple is. It could be embedding, you know, their definition of heaven on earth in your email. There's a woman in Mexico who smiles at two people a day. That's her contribution. All the way up to this woman in Austria who's taken on heaven on, Austria is a heaven on earth nation because it's simple. Once people discover what their simple is, they want to do it. So part of what this work is, part of my book, Project Heaven on Earth, is designed to help you find your simple project. So we ask the three questions, and then there are these seven gateways that I go into that I've discovered. Because I'm asking over and over, you begin to see patterns in the answer. So Heaven on Earth could be inside of you. It could be in relationships. It could be for you. It's, it's value, you know, unadulterated joy. That joy is yours. My wife's too. Could be ending a suffering, making an institution like law, government work, having your nation work, uh, realizing that this is heaven on earth. So each of those gateways has its own chapter and its own way of getting in so you can see if that uh, resonates with you, what it is for you, so that when you end up, you know 
this is my simple project. And let me just do something else. Here's the title of the book. Can you see it? Yes. Read it. Read just the title. What does it say? Project Heaven on Earth. Now, there's another title embedded in that title. Project Heaven on Earth. Oh. It's a verb. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So it's the verb being, projecting heaven on earth, and project heaven on earth. You and I are doing this project. So uh, it's full of examples and quotes and exercises. I don't want you just to read this and go, this is a great idea. No, we're way beyond the need for it's a great idea. We're in, we're going to make this happen. I have action, yeah. Here's a woman who's made a heaven on earth blend of tea. Mm. Wow. A woman, another woman who's made a soap, a heaven on her soap. <laughs> it's a- just amazing. Well, I, I'm so excited. I can't wait for the audience to go pick up your book and we're going to link to that in the show notes and, and everywhere on social. And so Martin, to close us out, you know, most of the most of the listeners of this show are entrepreneurs. And so, you know, having worked with, you know, such incredible organizations through livelihood. I'm curious, you know, what do you see as the role of entrepreneurs specifically in creating Heaven on Earth? A brilliant question. What an entrepreneur does is have this idea of a service or a product. He or she sees it and goes, ah, that's what's needed. That's what I want to do. And so they create, you know, the Latin phrase, ex nihilo. They create out of nothing. They create by giving their word. This is what I am going to do. If you take that same template and apply it to heaven on earth, if if this resonates with you, I'm asking you to declare that you're part of co-creating heaven on earth. You can make your business into that. A real estate company in Halifax, they take $100 with agreement off of every agent and they've created a program called A Home for Everyone. They've raised over $400,000. That came out of a conversation about heaven on earth. So what's your simple contribution personally? Uh, in your marriage, in your team at work, and through your business so that you can help co-create heaven on earth. And now is the time. I mean, we can't wait. This waiting's over. Absolutely. Well, Martin, I just can't thank you enough. And I think that what's so incredible is you, know, you said at the very beginning of this conversation that when you were young, you knew like your name was Martin, that you were going to change the world. And now here you are inspiring so many people to, to do their part to, to get us to, to that place, to get us to, to heaven on earth. And it just couldn't be more inspiring for me and for everyone who's listening to the show. So I thank you for that. Dorothy, thank you. And thank you for your contribution, for getting it and for putting your podcast out in the world. You're putting... You are, I was, I'm going to say, with your permission, heaven on earth is unadulterated joy. Thank you. Well, Martin, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about livelihood, and of course, to pick up your book, Project Heaven on Earth? The book, Project Heaven on Earth, is available on Amazon worldwide. I want to ask people to buy three copies. I'm going to be a little outrageous here, a little bold. Please? One, yeah, one for you. One for somebody in your life right now, if you think about it, there is someone in your life who you know, this is the book for them, and, some, and one for somebody coming in to your life. And we also have this program called The Case for Heaven on Earth. If you buy a case of 20 books or more and send me the receipt, um, I'll do a free webinar for you, free one-hour webinar. So that, that's just... Wow. And isn't that a lovely title? 
And of course, sign up for the free course and uh, a weekly blog at projectheavenhonors.com. And the, the reason I want you to sign up for, to get the blog is because every week you'll get this other idea, you'll get this other idea. It will normalize heaven on earth for you. And that's, that effect is, is very powerful. Absolutely amazing. Well, Martin, I can't begin to tell you what a joy that this has been talking to you. And um, I hope that we'll get to do it again soon. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Toby. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. That's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to genuinely thank you for giving me this gift of your time and attention. I know how valuable that is. And so it truly means the world to be able to spread this message with you. Now, if you are getting value from this podcast, the most helpful thing you can do is to leave a five-star review and share this with your friends. Post a screenshot to your Instagram stories or even text the link to someone specific that you think would find value in this also. So with that, I hope this episode has inspired you to do well and do good. And I'll see you back here next week.